Looking for a great new thriller? Check out Conundrum Publishing. We publish books that make you think. From mind-bending thrillers to heart-wrenching dramatic action-adventure novels, our books will keep you up all night, turning the pages eager to find out what happens next. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to conundrumpub.com str for three totally free thrillers. You won't be disappointed. Again, three full-length action thrillers totally free at conundrumpub.com str. You have somehow ended up listening to the stuff that's real that you didn't know was real but also is cool podcast or sturdy dick were bayek or uh never mind well good morning good afternoon good night what was that? Was that Truman Show? I think that was Truman Show. I started with something and I was going to go down a rabbit hole and I'm already off on a tangent here, but that's okay because this is the show for tangential nonsense. In other words, stuff that's real that you didn't know was real, but also is cool. Podcast. And I'm one I half like of that your as host. a tagline. Do, do you like that as a tagline? The show for tangential sidelines. Is that what you said? Nonsense. Something tangential like tangential nonsense. nonsense. We can change it up a little bit. We'll say tangential sidelines sometimes. We'll workshop that. We'll workshop that. <laughs> we'll whiteboard that a little bit. <laughs> I, as I was saying before I was so rudely interrupted by my other half host, I am one half of your hosts, Nick Thacker. And now I will allow my other host to speak. <laughs> I'm Kevin Tomlinson. This is a rough day for me. Apparently, Nick's all over me today. Man. See, that's all perspective, Man. my friend. That's all perspective. Not feeling the love at all. <laughs> it's nothing but love <laughs> emanating from me all the time. Well, all right. enough of the fake love. Let's get into the real love. This is a... <laughs> Let's go. Let's do it. This is a story that it's cool to me because it's a story of how we as uh, society, as humanity, I should say. So we learn something about something that is really, really dangerous and deadly. And then over time, we use that same thing to do something that is really, really good and saves people. You know, this is a type of medicine in a sense is what I'm getting at. And this is yeah. like a lot of medicines. We kind of find them out randomly. We figure out that, you know, hey, this is harming people. What is it? And we study it and we figure out what it is and we analyze it. And then we figure out ways to use it for good, right? So this is one of these kind of stories today. And the story is about botulism, which I didn't know much about. But I was reading a book, a friend of mine, Douglas E. Richards, had, writes a bunch of really awesome techno thrillers. And he said that the toxin botulism is actually the most dangerous poison in the world, or the most potent poison in the world. And I had never heard that before. You know, I had heard of things like cyanide or arsenic or, you know, all that stuff. I didn't know botulism, which I had heard of, was a poison and it was most poisonous in the world. And so I started looking it up and it turns out that's accurate. The bacteria that causes it is, is Clostridium botulinum. And this bacteria produces botulinum, which is the deadliest toxin known to humankind. Hmm. Now, just right there, the way that we measure toxins and potencies and all that is up for a little bit of debate, I guess. There's different ways to do it. But it seems that everything I'm reading seems that there's no question that botulism is top of the list, most dangerous, because it can't be detected by sight, smell, taste. And it's kind of this mysterious bacteria that has caused a lot of harm. And the way we found it, this is kind of a cool story. The Germans, as most fun medicines are found, were eating, I believe, pork stomach with blood inside, like a pork sausage 
made out of pork stomach with pork blood, as Germans are wont to do. And they started dying. <laughs> they couldn't figure out what was going on. It's like this little village, people started dying. And one of these forward-thinking doctors of the time said, oh, you know what, I'm going to study this and figure out why these guys died. And he somehow figured out that it was related to the sausage that they were eating. So he named this stuff, I can't remember the German word, but it's, it's essentially botulum or something is the word for sausage. And mm. so he named this disease, this thing that they were dying from after sausage. And of course, like we did back in the 1800s, if you're a doctor, he did absolutely nothing about it after that. Maybe wrote it down in a little notebook somewhere, but he didn't have a microscope. He didn't know how to fix anything or prevent it or even find it. Didn't know really what it was other than sausage. So I'm sure there was like a week or two where they didn't eat sausage from a pork's stomach, and then they probably missed their delicacy and went back to eating it and all things were normal. Um, a little bit making things up at this point. But fast forward another 100 years or so, and this disease starts coming up again, starts killing people. And this time it was going through a village and it killed about 18 or 19 people before we realized what it was. And again, you know, a doctor looked at it and said, oh, this is that sausage thing, you know, and whatever. And then we didn't do anything about it. Fast forward again to, uh, and this is the article that I linked to, in the early 1900s, when we were, we as Americans, I should say, were fanatical about, you know, canned goods being the new yeah. uh, <laughs> housewife thing to do, to cook. We started learning that some of the dented cans were killing people. So this time we were prepared. This time we said, you know what? We're going to figure this out. We're going to figure out what's going on in, in these dented cans. Because cans were supposed to be like, you know, the savior, all right? They're supposed to last forever. Yeah. yeah. And although food is good inside and we've cooked it long enough and killed anything in there. So how are these things killing people? Well, it turns out that this bacteria, it's an anaerobic bacteria. It thrives in these oxygen-free environments like canned goods. And so when you dent a can and there's a little bit of a tiny break, this stuff can get in there and, you know, exacerbate. And so that killed 18 people. I think it was Ohio, Michigan, New York. And we found out that it was from canned black olives that were produced in California and shipped across the country. So all that to say, we figured out that botulism is this really scary, deadly toxin that what it does is it like shuts down the nerve endings in certain regions, essentially what they call flaccid paralysis, which sounds, I know how that sounds, but- you know, it's just even worse than that, Kevin. I haven't suffered that since high school. It's been a while, but... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Flaccid paralysis, where essentially you just can't move. Your muscles just don't work anymore. Everything just starts to kind of, you know, fall apart. You, so you can't breathe, you can't think, you know, all that stuff yeah. just shuts down, which then leads to a horrible death. That's what the botulism disease does. And so I was reading about this whole thing and I was like, I know I've heard of botulism and I, it sounds familiar. And I, there was something else about it that I couldn't quite pin down. And then I kept reading, kept reading, and I found out of course, duh, light bulb went off when I read this. That's what Botox is. Yeah. It's literally yeah. botulism A, is, there's like uh, 13 different ones or whatever. And, and we just inject it into people now and it does the same thing. It causes flaccid paralysis in a certain area, which is plastic surgery. And, and it, you know, it works depending on your definition of work. It works well <laughs> to help with cosmetic surgery and make people look different and all that. And I think it's done some amazing things for medical cosmetic surgery, uh, repairs, things like that. I think it's yeah. got a little bit more study required before it starts to do things like make people actually look better. That's just a personal opinion. But anyway, we've gone from this most dangerous, deadliest thing in the world to using the same exact thing in specific dosed amounts to do some good. And I think that's just a cool over, I mean, just from start to finish, it's kind of a cool story, but I didn't realize that that was the same thing. The most deadly toxin known to humankind is the same thing we're injecting into our lips. It's kind of weird that we have a history of using toxins and poisons for more benign uses. Like, you know, things like strychnine and cyanide get used in beauty products and things. 
Maybe. Yeah. Don't they put arsenic in some of the boxed wines in small doses? I think to, so. It's like a like a so. yeah to help it stay. I, and maybe not as Stuff much like that now, but you know, it's just happened to be passing by. Someone was watching Rain, a television show, mm-hmm. Rain, and there was a scene where a girl was talking to other women about how she wasn't feeling well and she doesn't understand why because she's stuck to a strict regimen of taking her cyanide pills and you know things like that and and she's uh her skin seems patchy but she's been using this new lead-based powder to try to recover you know it was a whole they made a big joke out of it but i'm like yeah people really did all that and had no idea they were pumping all kinds of toxins and poisons into their body at the same time. So, (laughs) Yeah. And all we knew is what good it could do. And, you know, nobody stopped to think about, well, maybe it's doing some bad stuff. Or if we did, we didn't have any way of finding that out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm with you. I'm wondering when, you know, something like COVID, we're going to start injecting that into our bloodstream to, you know, give us like, I don't know, x-ray vision or something. Helps with, uh, (laughs) you know, helps cure halitosis by closing off certain portions of the lungs. It'll be something like that, you know? Yeah, it'll be like something, you, yeah, exactly. Well, we get like, this, this fairly in. minor benefit out of it, as long as it's in measured doses, you know, it helps with clotting. <laughs> right. Actually, yeah, exactly. you know, that's the, that is, uh, like that. there are like lines of science <laughs> yeah. about things like this. So there are certain toxins and bacteria and things that do things like restrict blood flow or make you anemic, Right. So it's not that out of left field to take that stuff and study it to figure out how could we use that to deal with the it's opposing problem. So if I'm having a clotting issue, for example, I'm susceptible to blood clots, you know, maybe one of these things that causes anemia might not be such a bad thing to introduce into my body, depending on what else it does. So same kind of thing, the whole Botox botulism thing and using like bee venom. You know, things like that. I mean, it's weird to me that that stuff happens, but it's also weird to me. Like, I can't figure out how we ever uh, figured out how to eat certain foods, you know? Like, potatoes were apparently poisonous when we first discovered them. Oh, really? Yeah, like, (laughs) if you ate a potato raw, you would get sick. And it took time for people to figure out. And one of the things they figured out was, well, if we roast the potato it helps reduce that. But if we leave the dirt on the potato when we roast it, then there's something in the soil that counteracts the toxin. So how did they figure that out? Like, you know, hundreds of years ago. No laboratories, no science. A lot of extra people that they didn't like. Yeah. Well, that's the way I always think of it. Like, hey, Mortimer, (laughs) eat this. Yeah, you know, there's the whole raping, pillaging, and plundering idea that all these Vikings ran around and did. And I'm like, maybe there were some forward-thinking Vikings that actually didn't do that. And they just said, hey, we've taken over your village. Yeah. And instead of raping, pillaging, and plundering and, you know, killing all the men or whatever, making them force servitude to our armed forces, we are going to use you all as test subjects in the how-to-eat-a-potato crisis that we're trying to figure. Now, I might be mixing my Irish and Viking histories here. I don't know, but. You know what I'm saying? Like this, generally (laughs) speaking here, I assume it's the same thing with alcohol, right? So we figured out how to make beer long, long, long ago because it was was actually safer to drink than water in a lot of places. And so we did this with beer. And then, of course, because beer wasn't potent enough, we needed to be stronger. So we were like, let's distill this and extract just the – I don't want the actual vitamins and minerals in this thing. I want just the alcohol. Yeah. Like I just want the potion. And so we figured out how to distill. And I want to know – 
who was the first person that was like, well, you can't drink the first four shots because that's actually wood alcohol and it'll kill you. It'll, it's actually it'll blind you go you. blind. It's, it's poison yeah. to your optic nerve. Right. Is what it does. Yeah, it's poisonous. And How you know, we they, figured that out yeah. pretty quick. But then we, we were just like, you know what? I bet the later alcohols that boil off are, are safe. Like instead of just saying, you know, this blinds people, we were so committed to making our potion that we were like, well, we got to figure out which, which one of these alcohols is actually going to kill us and which one we can drink. Yeah. And which one we can use to fuel our cars down in Brazil. Yeah. And we did. Yeah. And I'm glad we did. There's things like that that just blow my mind. Like the discovery of things like coffee, right? Yeah. Or because who looked at this and said, you know, I bet if I grind that up and pour some water through it, that's going to be good. But <laughs> right. then there's the, the coffee make bean that's soup made- out of this uh, out of this bitter plant. Yeah, exactly. And who thought of doing that and why? But also... You've got like poop coffee, like we talked about in a previous episode. Like, that, I think who that was a long, long saw episode this? Ago. Who said, you know, that thing that looks kind of like a payday bar down on the ground? That's a turd <laughs> from a specific kind of animal. And he's been eating coffee. And I think I'm going to grind that up, pour some hot water through it because that right there looks like that's going to make a mean cup of coffee. Like, who does that? <laughs> I actually know the story. I think coffee. Yeah. This is kind of cool because I think it was um, shepherds or sheep herders. You know, I don't know the difference. It's the same thing, whatever. I think they were sitting down watching their sheep and then they were behind this coffee tree that, you know, smelled good. And they would chew on the beans and they realized okay. that it, it kind of gave them a high. You know, that was the caffeine high. Yeah. Of course, it didn't taste very good. And humanity's infinite ingenuity tried to make it better and more palatable. And I think they eventually just stumbled across the, well, what if we just make bean soup out of it and drink it? And then I think the poop coffee... This is just a lesson in, you know, we can't just be happy as humans yeah. with what we've got. Gotta push. We've got to make shit better. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, we can't just pump the brakes and be like, you know, let's not eat the poop coffee. Coffee's good enough already. Somebody came along and was like, how can we make coffee better? Why don't we have some special animal poop it out? This is like when I cook dinner, you know? Yeah. Now, I'm not going to say I'm adding poop you, to my dinner. You poop your- but I, I haven't tried that yet. <laughs> it might actually make dinner better. But my wife is always about like, well, hey, you know, you made this one time and it was perfect. I mean, it was good. Like, it was good enough. Yeah. Why would you ever want to change it? And I'm like, because I could make it better. It could always be better. Yeah. I could, it could always be better. Maybe cinnamon is the secret Are you like me? Add, you know? Like, I experiment. Like, I will literally combine every ingredient I have in various combinations to see oh, yeah, if totally. I'm going to like it. And no one around me can stand that, of course. I, and I'll eat it, too, even if it's awful. <laughs> I am like you. This is why I can't bake. Yeah. Right. Like, cause cooking is, is a little bit more of a window of opportunity, a little bit more freedom. What I'm going to say, there's less opportunity for disaster, I think, when you're sauteing stuff for whatever reason. When you're baking, it's, it's got to be exact. Right? Yeah. You got to have the right amount of flour, right eggs. And I'm like, well, okay, I'm making these cookies. It's asking me for salt. I'm like, you know, I don't actually like salt. So I'm going to toss that out. I'm not going to put the salt. And, uh, and I, you know, I do like cinnamon though. So I'm going to triple the required amount of cinnamon I need. Yeah. And then I, I taste them and my mouth is on fire and it's these terrible cookies that haven't, you know, risen properly yeah this is why i don't bake because i can't baking is that's it's much more of a science you know you have to get the ratios exactly right in order for baking to work right but not necessarily the same story for you know just cooking something on like a a range top yeah that's more of an art right yeah because i've (laughs) burned things i have burned things and discovered that they tasted really good you know the the mylard reaction right yeah there you go exactly so what is it? Heat, acid? No, no, no. Yeah, heat, acid. Yeah. I don't know. Like earth, fire, earth, fire, fire. air. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so see, that's what I like about stories like yours, man. That is, there's a fact in there about one idea and it leads to all these other ideas. And I think that's kind of the same way science itself, you know, before it was science, it was just experimenting and trying things. Yeah. It's just uh, having fun in a laboratory. Yeah. yeah. And what every now and then this? somebody died. So yeah, and that's, I think, how science, like, we got, you know, beakers because we were like, well, maybe we should put this shit in something that doesn't, you know, kill us mm-hmm. when we heat it up. Right. So we, whoa, let's make a beaker, you know, and like, that's how all the scientist stuff happened. And fast forward just to experimenting now. with stuff and we have to, now we have to make it all safe. Yeah. And suddenly the stuff that we experiment with is far deadlier, gain of function type stuff. So mm. <laughs> let's keep experimenting until we figure out a way to make this in- innocuous thing the most dangerous thing there is. When DARPA says, we're not going to touch this with a 10-foot pole and we do it anyway. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not saying somebody needs to go to prison, but somebody might need to go to prison. (laughs) We're all going to Mars instead. There's a reason all the billionaires are investing in technology to get off this planet. Uh, Did you see there was a whole story recently about how SpaceX is preparing a module for deflecting an asteroid, right? Like, yeah, yeah, theoretically, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, well, now it all makes sense. It makes total sense why every bit we have an asteroid coming our way. That's what's happening. There's an asteroid. See, coming. I think <laughs> I disagree. I think they're actually using that as a diversion to get us to focus on that. What they're actually building is a billionaire's playground on the moon. OK, because it's in the name, Kevin. If you say it slow, you know what they're really doing. SpaceX. Oh, okay. Well, now it all makes sense. Now it all makes sense. Look, I'm just here to tell you what's real, okay? That's all I'm here to do. Okay. All right. Take it or leave it. <laughs> well, speaking of what's real. Yeah, I need to hear about this thing. This is crazy. This is, is kind of crazy. There's a plot twist, so I'll just let you know that up front. But we're going to talk about the Almeida Weehawken Burrito Tunnel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, this story actually goes all the way back to 2007, April 7th. 2007, so not an April Fool's joke, but it is the story of a mission. We're going to say it started with a mission, and not just any mission, Nick. It started with a mission burrito. Ooh, I like that. So the idea here was based on science, by the way. So, in fact, let me read this paragraph because I think this is a better start than the article. It says, ever since Isaac Newton first described the laws of gravity, In 1687, scientists have known that the quickest route between two points is along a straight line through the Earth's interior. And it says, through the magic of gravity, any object dropped into such a cord tunnel, in quotes, at one end will emerge exactly 42 minutes later at the other end, no matter the distance. So then it goes on to describe that for hundreds of years, there were technical challenges to making this work, and they had to kind of hammer out like, you know, how do you, what are the logistics for creating a tunnel like this? And of course, when you invest in, science is all about how to feed people better from a distance. That's really what science boils down to. So that's where they applied their know-how. So they created the burrito tunnel, the Alameda Weehawken burrito tunnel. And it is a tunnel that allows them to ship a burrito from New York to, oh, among other things, but the general idea is to ship a burrito from 
New York to San Francisco. That was just in the grant proposal. It was just in the grant proposal, yeah. like, among other things. Like, there's going to be used for this. Besides, and then they were like, there's totally just going to be for burritos. <laughs> it's when they got back only to for burritos. <laughs> now, this is what's called a gravity tunnel, uh, according to okay. Wikipedia. The, let me read this part. It says, the mouth of the tunnel is a small concrete arch in the side of a nearby hill about as glamorous as an abandoned railway tunnel. This, this system connects to the BART in uh, San Francisco, and it allows you to place your order for a burrito and have it hurled at the speed of gravity through the earth to your hands, warm and ready for you to consume. Uh, in a mere 42 minutes. So it opened a great fanfare in 1933. So this has been around for quite a while with a congratulatory message in Morse code flashed by powerful searchlight from the San Francisco end to waiting dignitaries on the New Jersey side. So they signaled hmm. each other across the country with powerful searchlights in Morse code to thank them for sending them their mission burritos across the country or under the country. So... Now, is that not the most fascinating thing you have ever heard of? God, it almost, I got to say, it almost sounds too good to be true. It almost sounds too good to be true. But Nick, if you were to believe that it is too good to be true, well then, sir, you would be absolutely correct. This is, unfortunately, a false story. But it's the nuances of it is that it has, over the years taken so many people in and fooled them. It was not an April Fool's joke, but it was so close to April Fool's that I would have still been suspicious. But all the way back in 2007, this thing launches. It's a single article that references this, and then it gets it resurfaces all the time. I mean, it pops up everywhere. Now, I was hmm. somewhat taken in by it because when I first encountered it, there was – so like any good fiction – There are aspects of this thing that are real. There are tunnels like this, gravity-fed tunnels. They are experiments in trying to figure out if they can do something as kind of cool as coring through the entire Earth to to be able to get to the other side. It's kind of a hypothetical experiment, but there are a lot of attempts at this out there. I, for one, attempted this when I was like eight years old, when I started digging a hole in the backyard to reach China. Hmm. I'm really Mm -hmm. pleased to know that I would have gotten there in only 42 minutes, but... It is, unfortunately, a faux tale, which is a little sad, but is also kind of cool. <laughs> well, in this article that you linked, I mean, this thing, it, it's like there's been research. There's yeah, pictures there's actual, of this yeah. stuff, which is... <laughs> it's a very... Which is, it's, this one says Alameda Tunnel, and it's literally the way you described it. I mean, this is... Yeah. So, yeah, I don't blame you for being pulled in by this. I, I started to think that this article was satire when I read the line, you know, basically, if you were to open the tunnel on one side in California, you would see airplanes landing in New Jersey, mm-hmm. you know, from the other side, 3,000 miles away or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, that what? Yeah. That's not how, <laughs> I don't think light is, you know, whatever. So I started to wonder, but it doesn't actually say in here that this thing is It doesn't it just say kind of goes, it. Yeah, you know, it, 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 and it, it obviously, it's got some pseudoscience. I mean, it. if yeah. you read the article through and through, you do start to realize, okay, this is, there's yeah, no okay. way this could be real, but- <laughs> Well, I'm thinking in California, I mean, God, over the fault line and everything, this thing would break in like a day. Well, and it, it does, it does though, like you said, it uses an awful lot of actual science and a lot of actual engineering principles. And it, it sort of lines them all up in a way that sort of makes pseudo sense, which is how fake news sure. works. But I love this one. It says burritos speeding through the tunnel. 
the tunnel flight fight a constant battle against friction. At the start and end of their journey, they hover in a powerful magnetic field, seldom touching the sides of the tunnel. Past the Colorado border, however, the temperature of the surrounding rock exceeds the Curie point of iron, and the burritos must slide on their bellies in their nearly frictionless Teflon sleeve, uh, <laughs> kept from charring by pork fat that slowly seeps out of the burritos as they thaw. Oh, God. So not only is this a means of transporting your delicious mission burrito from coast to coast, but it is actually cooking the burrito as it goes. So <laughs> that definitely adds a twist in there. Yeah. Uh, Got to get the yeah. timing right on that one because we all know that these mission burritos must be cooked to a temperature of molten lava on the inside. That's right. But still remain remaining ice absolutely cold on frozen the on the right. or, or, or vice versa. I mean, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. There needs to be like an icicle block right in the middle of the thing and the rest of it, the surrounding molten lava will burn your mouth, yeah. burn your lips off. So here's the deal. The real stuff that's real of this story isn't the burrito tunnel. It's the article. The article is a sort of online treasure. It's part of the dead internet, yeah. but it's, it is in and of itself something worth reading and knowing about as a sort of cultural waypoint because it's one of these things that if you could ever convince anybody today to read something of this length, because it is, it's a like five scroll, six scroll kind of yeah. article, you yeah, know. Yeah. It's at least a two pooper. Yeah, exactly. But it's <laughs> but because of the nature of it and the way the science is presented, it actually can be a jump off and talking point for a lot of the kind of issues that we actually deal. I'm not to make this all serious or anything, but it is a talking point for the kind of stuff that we deal with today when it comes to science and when it comes to media. And this sure. this is yeah. uh, in and of itself a stuff that's real. So I pulled it out. It is. There at the it's end. like a real thought experiment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It reminds me of when I first heard about space elevators. Mm -hmm. I thought this is the most ridiculous thing. I mean, how this, this is a space elevator? Come on. How would that? And then come to find out that it's cost prohibitive right now, but not scientifically prohibitive. Right. It's to, to build this. Right? I mean, you just have this thing hanging in, yeah. in orbit and. It's more powerful than the gravity pulling it to Earth or whatever, you know. So, I mean, it works. Theoretically, it works. Yeah. And I think this is the same way. Like, I don't think a burrito tunnel from Jersey to, to California necessarily makes sense. But individual aspects of it, like, hey, could we deliver food better from, let's say, top of California to bottom or north to south of California better if we had one of, like, Elon Musk's tunnels? Yeah. Which is exactly what but, we're doing. But also now. think so about what it. it's the way it's presenting this. Because what's happening is somebody sat down and took the time to think through not just the concept, which is farcical, but also what would be some of the challenges of doing this? Like legitimately, these are some challenges you would face. It's an impossible. I'm not going to say it's impossible. We do some crazy impossible stuff all the time, right? For all the time, for the entirety of the space program, it was quote unquote impossible to launch a rocket module and then land that same module mm -hmm. upright. It was impossible, right. I was told. And now we do it routinely. Yeah. <laughs> so just like the four minute mile, right? It was impossible. Your heart would explode, your head would fall off your shoulders, uh, your legs would. Right unspool beneath you <laughs> but then it was done and then within three months of it being done it was done like 12 more times so that's the way we advance is we go through we do these little thought experiments we say you know what's the look at um arthur c clark the dude invented yeah, the idea of computing uh, and geosynchronous orbit 
you know? Yeah. And also, basically, the foundations of global positioning, GPS that we use today, came from his fiction and using points in the sky, uh, satellites in the sky, as two of three triangulation points. And so now we yes. have this technology that we carry around in our friggin' pocket now. So you can laugh about this article, and it is silly. You know, nobody gives a nobody's going to fund a project to send a burrito from New York to New Jersey. I guess. Now wait a minute. Well, just hold on. I won't say nobody. (laughs) If Nick ever manages to strike up a few billion dollars, I look forward to seeing. Let's be fair though. I don't give a shit about California or New Jersey, so we'd have to make this burrito tunnel like Colorado to Texas or whatever. Right. We can but talk think about, about that. We can use gravity, you know, top of a mountain all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. That makes sense. So the principles that they explored in this article are actually applicable to things like the tunnel that Elon Musk is making, the whatever it's called, the right. hyper tunnel or whatever. It's applicable yeah, yeah. to the idea of how do we transport anything from A to B on this planet, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah. All those things, it's a farcical thought experiment. It can lead, if someone reads this and says, you know, that's actually... That part's accurate. I bet if I took that idea and applied it over here, I could change the world. Even if they aren't necessarily thinking that directly, that could be the result. That's why this stuff excites me. So anyway, I hear I'm getting worked up again. Go ahead. Your turn. Your turn. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I concur. (laughs) I I get stupid excited about things like this. And then I start. I know, and I can't, you know, add on because then you'll just get more excited. I mean, I I've seen you explode before. Yeah, I have. And then we have to put the pieces back. It's like a Humpty Dumpty <laughs> situation. It's, it's bad. So I've got to, you know, de-escalate now. Yes, but that's fine. No, that's good. It's, this is good stuff. That's what the show's about coming up on the end anyway. I think, and mm-hmm. I had never heard of this Alameda Weehawken Burrito Tunnel, but I am very glad that I did. I have now. <laughs> I can't imagine the amount of conversations in the next week I'm going to be able to add this. Just kind of interject this into, you know, my wife, hey, I got to go to the grocery store. Did you know that there's a burrito tunnel (laughs) between California and New Jersey? Are you telling me you want me to get a burrito at the store? Yes. No, I'm just saying, what if there was a way to get it like from the store to my house underground in a tunnel? Like, this is going to be great, man. You have set me up for success as a dad in the next week and a half. And then I, oh, I have family coming in town in a couple weeks. So this is going to be, this is great. We're going to use this. I wish that we had done this. Fun fact I actually officiated a wedding. On Sunday, and uh, nice. the group that was there among them was a handful of engineers, and one of them had built this slingshot rifle, basically, and it was really impressive. And so I wish I had had this story in my back pocket when we were talking about it. You know, I was looking over the design, and we were talking about ways to improve it and things like that. And so every one of us is either an engineer or former engineer, so all of us are kind of breaking apart. To go build our own slingshot gun now. Yeah. But I'm going to build a burrito gun. That'd be even better. <laughs> I think it would. And it's going to cook that burrito as it fires it. <laughs> Perfectly. Perfectly cooked. Perfectly. Saturated and pork Well, fat. I'm not sure there's anything that we can do to top that. So we'll probably just uh, roll out here and thank everyone for coming. Yeah. And just hope we can do it again next week. Hope we can top that next week. I don't think we're going to be able to top We can top. We, that's, I mean, gosh. That's what we do. Botulism burritos, man. That is Botulism That's a double whammy right there. Yeah. Uh, well, you know what? Hey, you heard it here first, folks. You heard it here only, most likely. But this is stuff that's real that you didn't know was real. You just didn't know it was real. Because sometimes, like in Kevin's case, it's not real. But it's also cool. So we talk about it. And that's what we do here. As we said, what we're going to say now, it's tangential nonsense. That's right. <laughs> Your healthy dose of tangential nonsense, hopefully spurring you on, sparking the creativity the imagination, 
to get the juices flowing for all you writers out there. You're why we do this. Yeah, you are. Actually, I mean, obviously, we are why we do this. But, you know, you guys can come too. Yeah, you guys can come along fat for the ride. podcasting yeah. bucks are why I do this. There you go. It's another wow. stuff that's, There's... I promise, real. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Well, that's enough botulism, burrito, fat jokes for the day. Yeah. We are going to roll out and we'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. See ya. Looking for a great new thriller? Check out Conundrum Publishing. We publish books that make you think. From mind-bending thrillers to heart-wrenching dramatic action-adventure novels, our books will keep you up all night, turning the pages eager to find out what happens next. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to conundrumpub.com str for three totally free thrillers. You won't be disappointed. Again, three full-length action thrillers totally free at conundrumpub.com slash str.